You can be seated. So good to see you all this morning. So thankful that you're uh, gathered with us here in worship. And as uh, Paxton read for us, we are going to be uh, returning back to our Sermon on the Mount sermon series for Matthew chapter 6 is where we're going to begin. But just as a uh, quick word of welcome, just want to say uh, my name is Ryan. I'm one of the pastors here at City Church, and it's so good to see uh, so many of you. I also want to uh, just say a word of thank you for your patience. If you're a guest with us, um, uh, you might not have known this, but this is a bit of a construction site. We are in the midst of renovating. We uh, purchased this property back in August, and uh, so perhaps that's one of the things that uh, just allows you to be here with us, but um, uh, we are doing some arrangement and moving things around, and so especially if you have little ones, littles, this area to my right, to your left, is going to be our littles area. You can't go through there right now because there's nails, and then that could be bad for your feet, and so it's just not safe to go through there, but here within a couple of weeks, we do expect that we'll be able to reopen our littles area for the youngest uh, children. It's going to be beautiful. Uh, space, and then our kids will be able to be over on that side, our, our elementary age children. And so just thank you for your patience week by week as things change and look differently and uh, we're moving around. Um, just wanted to say a, a word of appreciation also to acknowledge uh, one of our newest developments that I even now see little kids freezing to death running outside on the playground. Uh, yesterday, the men who gathered together, um, they they didn't build that playground, but we had that installed. But putting all of that mulch, the, the mulch pile uh, was as tall as this, the roof line of this building, and we put all of that inside there to protect their fall. So now they don't really fall, they just step off the slide into mulch, but eventually that'll get packed down, it'll be safe. So thank you guys for being a part of that. Um, and uh, so we are returning, as I said, to the Sermon on the Mount from Matthew chapter 6, and as a kind of a recap to catch you up on where we have been. It has been a couple of weeks since we were in here. We took a little bit of a brief break um, over the holiday season and new year. But returning to this, we are starting a new section of Jesus' teaching in Matthew chapter 6. We've spent the entire fall, if you guessed, uh, working our way through Matthew chapter 5, the beginning of Jesus' teaching. And so... To set all of this up, he, re- he begins in Matthew chapter 5 with the Beatitudes, these statements of blessing and defining the kingdom of God. And ultimately what Jesus is doing in the Beatitudes is he is telling us who we are. A Christian is someone who through faith in Christ has been welcomed as a citizen of God's kingdom. And so he is describing that because Jesus has come on the scene. He was born Christmas time, took on flesh, became like us, lived his life. And when he began his earthly ministry, he began to teach and do some miracles. And he gathered a group of disciples, followers. He had this sort of group of people that were following him around. And he went up to the mount and he began to teach them, to instruct them. And the thing that he begins instructing them with is who they are because of their faith in who he is and what he has done in their life. And he's telling them that you are now citizens of this new kingdom of God. And so... The who we are as Christians has to always be first. After he taught through that section, the first 12 verses or so of Matthew chapter 5, he then tells us what we do in light of who we are, how we live. This is how citizens of of the kingdom of God, he says, what it looks like for them to live out their lives, how they engage in the world. And he defined us in that moment in terms of what we do. He defined us as a preservative, as salt. We are the salt of the earth. 
As Christians, God has welcomed us into his kingdom and he has formed us into new creations. And these new creations, we now slow down the decay and the death that we see happening all around us through the way we live. We are also the light of the world. We take the light of Christ, his light, into the darkness of the world that is all around us. Now, I just want to pause there because I do know that so many of you haven't heard that or been a part of uh, the teaching as guests here this morning. And again, we're so thankful that you would join us. But I do want to encourage you to go backwards and listen to our podcast anywhere you find a podcast. If you just search City Church Melissa, you can catch up because here is something that's very important. We said this over and over again when we were working our way through that text from Matthew 5. If we try to focus too much or too quickly on what we do, being salt and light, the activity of being a Christian, the purpose of why God formed us and shaped us and established us as citizens of his kingdom, if we put too much emphasis there before understanding who we are in Christ, we end up in a moralistic type of living where we're just trying to do the right thing. And so... God, Jesus would say, do not focus on what you do before you realize who you are in Christ. And so if you're a guest with us this morning and that's a question for you, I just want to direct your attention back to the beginning of Matthew chapter 5 to spend some time there this week. Have a conversation. I'd love to engage you in that. But the focus must. We have to realize who we are first. Brothers and sisters in Christ, we have to remember who we are in Christ And that is what drives and motivates and directs the things that we do living as salt and light in the world. After he got through defining us as salt and light and what we do, he then began to work through a sort of a question that his hearers would have initially asked. So, Jesus, we understand that you're God and this is what you're doing in the world. And because of these statements, you've welcomed us in as citizens of your kingdom. But what about the law? What about the religious teachers that we've grown up with who have been telling us all these things, sort of defining the world in such a way? And so Jesus interacts with the Old Testament law. And he says, I did not come to throw that away. That, that would have been, in some senses, the assumption of the original hearers. They would have thought to themselves, well... He's here. He's established this new kingdom. It's not an earthly kingdom, but it's a spiritual kingdom. It's the only eternal kingdom. And as he's done that, he must be just sort of getting rid of everything we've ever learned. Jesus says, no, not at all. I did not come to throw out the law. I came to be the fulfillment of the law. The fulfillment of the law in such a way in what Paul defines the law. In a sense, the law was your babysitter. It helped us until we could understand what Christ has done. It reminded us or showed us of our need for Christ. And so the law, Jesus is the fulfillment of the law. And as the fulfillment of the law, he tells us as Christians, not just how to live in pursuit of doing what the law would say, because the Pharisees did that well. I said last week or two weeks ago, I believe it was, that if Jesus came to just form moral people, He wouldn't have come at all because the Pharisees were doing that job quite well. They were holding the law over the people, ensuring that they did the right things, didn't disobey God, all those sorts of things. That's not what Jesus came to accomplish. He came to take dead people in their sins and raise them to new life. And the way that he did that, through that, is he calls us to live not to, to the letter of the law, but he defined, through that section, the heart of the law. He gave us a picture of what perfect holiness looks like. 
Not following the law, but following God with our entire hearts. And this is why he closed Matthew chapter 5, that section of the teaching, by saying, you therefore must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. He says, this is what Jesus did. He lived this out. I am calling you to live that perfection, that type of holiness before God. Now, we know that we all fall short of that, but that's the aim, that's the aspiration. So today, as we begin this new section in chapter 6, this section of Jesus' teaching will run all the way through chapter 6. And it, in a sense, is describing how we as Christians live in complete submission to God. So whereas before he was addressing who we are, then he said, this is what you do, salt and light in the world. This is just a clarifying point of how that interacts with the Old Testament law and how the law supports what I am calling you to. Now, let me define for you what it looks like to live in complete and constant submission to God. This is what he is addressing in chapter 6. You know, I think about, and I raised this point before in our church, how often and how quickly we turn to Jesus as Savior. We look to Jesus and we celebrate the fact that Jesus is our Redeemer That saving power, his work on the cross, that is something that is precious to us, and very rightly so. Not diminishing that in any sense of the word. But one of the things that we have seemed to have lost, one of the challenges that we face as Christians today, is that we love to celebrate, and our focus and our attention can so often be on Jesus as the Savior of the world, as our Savior, and we forget that he is also Lord. That he is the ruler. He is the ruler of this kingdom that he has welcomed us into. We so often forget about God's presence in our lives. You see, God doesn't just move in our lives to save us and then forget or move on. Again, so often we can think like perhaps we even do in our own engagement in an earthly sense. Sometimes this is what it feels like. Well, I walked forward, I walked down the aisle when I was six and had a little conversation with the pastor and then he told me to get baptized and so mom and dad helped me get baptized and so I was baptized and then I'm good. I'm living life now. And so often we think that God acts that way because that's sort of how sometimes we've processed our relationship with God and our life in the church. We think God has come and he's saved us, he's redeemed us, he's adopted us as sons and daughters. And now that that has taken place, he's sort of moved on. He's worried about my neighbor now. He's worried about my my friend. He's worried about this. He doesn't have any real attention to me because he kind of did everything he needed to do in my life. That's not the way that God operates at all. He doesn't say, all right, you're squared away, and now I'm going to go move on to the next. Because one, God doesn't have to do that. His omnipresence, his ability, he is God. He can deal with me over here, and he can deal with someone over here on a completely other continent, other place in the world, other time, other age, other wherever it is. God is all present, and we forget sometimes God's presence with us. And so he doesn't live that. He doesn't do that in our lives. That's not we, he doesn't deal with us once and then move on. We need to remember, and what Jesus is reminding us here in chapter 6 as we work our way through this, is of that constant presence. That God himself is not just aware of our lives. It's not like he just sort of sees us and is just knows that we exist. But he is intimately involved in our lives. He is there with us. 
Now, the first part of this instruction that Jesus is going to give us is relating to our worship and our holiness, sort of our piety, as we would say. How do we live in light of the fact that God is very aware and involved? As I've prepared and read this and studied this text, it has been a humbling text to think about the idea that God is so present with me, so aware of my life. It is something that should cause us all, I believe, to be humbled. So as Jesus began, as Paxton read for us, he starts with this word, beware. Now, here's a little bit of advice. When you see Jesus say beware, you might want to pay a lot of attention to that. Now, Jesus' words are all important and all vital, all those sorts of But when he gives this warning, he uses this strong language of beware. This is something that we should not just sort of read through our Bibles and just sort of take that word flippantly like, okay, I heard he said beware, but now I'm moving on to whatever's next. We need to realize that Jesus has a very serious warning for us. And the reason that Jesus uses that language of beware is because it shows or it, it sort of illustrates for us the reality of how intimately aware Jesus is of us. That he knows us. He knows the temptations of our hearts. He knows our flesh. He knows our desires. And so he begins this teaching by saying, Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. This is a strong warning. And this really, this verse, this first verse, sets the theme for everything that he's going to say in the remainder of chapter 6. Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. Now, those of you that have been with us for a while, our our Bible scholars, which I know most of you are in the room, you're thinking to yourself, well, I remember, Pastor, when you said that Jesus said, let your light shine before men so that they might see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. So which is right? Is Jesus contradicting himself in his own sermon? I do that sometimes because I'm dumb. Jesus isn't, isn't doing that here, okay? Jesus is not contradicting himself when he says that. He is saying, he said earlier, let your light shine before men so that they might glorify your Father in heaven, pointing glory to God. And here he says, though, beware of practicing your righteousness before other people so that you might be seen by them. This illustrates for us how keenly aware Jesus is of our lives. We all know that fine line between bringing glory to God, living for the glory of God, or living for the glory of ourselves. Trying to glorify God, doing the things that might glorify God, so that we might get a little bit of glory as well. This is what Jesus, the razor-sharp line that he is drawing, like a surgeon. You're saying, I'm doing this for the glory of God. I'm living for the glory of God. The way I'm caring for this neighbor, doing this, serving in this church, giving this money, whatever it might be, for the glory of God. Jesus is saying, be cautious, beware, friend, of the temptation to do that for the glory of God, but doing it in such a way that ensures that you get glory for yourself. Because there is only one person who can get glory in any given situation. If we receive glory, then we diminish glory given to God, because ultimately that glory comes to us. And our God is a jealous God. He won't allow glory to be carried by two. And ultimately we think to ourselves when we hear that, well, I'm 
trying to live, it says, to please others. But ultimately, when we really examine our hearts, practicing righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them, the root of that effort, I want to be seen by them because I care about myself. It's our temptation in our flesh to want to be seen and to have our way. And I want you to just think about why Jesus would use such strong language when he says, beware. Can you imagine this thought that is true often of so many of us, myself included? I will try and use the God of the universe in order to bring glory to me. I will manipulate a situation and do things that look as if they're intended to bring glory to God so that I can be satisfied, so other people can think well of me. Do you see the depth of the sinfulness that is involved there? That we would try and use God in such a way that we might please ourselves? Yes, it might seem so often like we're doing something to please others, but ultimately what's really at stake is we're trying to please ourselves. We're trying to get glory for ourselves. We are a very selfish bunch. We care too often, so often, most about ourselves. And you want to know what the most important thing in the world is? Some of you came this morning thinking to yourselves, I think I'm going to need to figure out what the most important thing in the world is. And maybe he'll tell me this morning. Well, God answered your prayer. I'm going to tell you what the most important thing in the world is. The thing that defines everything else in the world. The lens that, the the way you look through this lens, it will affect everything. Here it is. Your and my, our relationship to God. There is nothing more important in the world than our relationship to God. And we all have some relationship with God because we are his creation and he is our creator. And we can try and not acknowledge that. Some of us acknowledge that. Some of us acknowledge that to a great degree. Some of us really acknowledge and celebrate that we do have a relationship with God. And some of us are trying to shun and push away and run from our relationship with God. Some of us are trying to appease God through some moral behavioral actions. Others of us are trying to please God because we recognize the grace and mercy that we have received from him. Some of us are trying to or living our lives as sons and daughters of God. And others of us feel as if God is just a slave master, a taskmaster, oppressing us with his thumb. In some way, we have a relationship with God. And the most important thing, the thing that will affect everything that you do, the way you live your life, the decisions that you make, all of those things is how you view that relationship with God. That is why it's the most important thing. Nothing is more important. And if that is the most important thing, I want you to consider, especially Christians in the room, brothers and sisters in Christ, think of that. We know that that's the most important thing in the world. And yet, how many moments of our day do we live with that consciously on our minds? How often are we aware? Or I could ask that conversely. How often do we completely forget the most important thing in our lives? This is what, when Jesus said, blessed are those who thirst and hunger for righteousness, 
realizing we don't have a righteousness from within ourselves, that it can only come from God himself through Christ. This is what it looks like, being constantly aware of God, of who he is in our lives, and thirsting and hungering for more of him, a greater relationship with him. Now, Jesus is our perfect example of this. Jesus is the one who lived this out perfectly for us. Now, you know, I know very often we think of Jesus, we think the bar is just too high. My middle son is a runner, and when he was young, I would run with him. And um, very early on, I realized that was not going to go well for me. That ended in pain and suffering very quickly. And so I would try and run with him. I, like At the age of 10, he beats me in a 5K by like 10 minutes. And so this was bad news for me. And so I just decided, you know what, the pain, the suffering, it's not worth it. I just don't want to do that. And so we'd go to the track, and I'd say, all right, you go out there. I'm going to sit in my car. I'm going to listen to sports radio, just sort of remember my athletic prowess from years gone by. And and we're going to be good. You go do that thing and hurt yourself. I'm fine. The bar was just too high for me to even try and keep up with him. Just, it wasn't worth it. I, so I just quit. When I was a child, you've heard me testify to this many times. When I was, my mom would tell me, hey, you need to go clean your room. I'd just walk in there. I was like, this, this is, there's no point. Only she can clean this up. I don't even know where to begin. This is where my sons get that from, by the way. So I'm sorry, Laurel. That's just part of our life. Anyhow. But this is the reality. Sometimes we think of Jesus and we think the bar is just too high. He's our example. And we know that, again, cycle, or sort of consciously, subconsciously, or whatever that might be. That, but but his, the bar must just be too high. And so we just quit. And this is what Paul, by the way, one of the things that he was addressing when he said, should we just sin so that grace would abound all the more? No, he says, heavens no. That is not the way to live. The bar isn't too high. This is what we celebrated at Christmas, friends. The miracle of Jesus' incarnation to come dwell with us, to be with us. He is like us. He dealt with everything that we deal with. Every temptation, every fear, every anxiety, every caution, everything that we experience. Jesus is intimately familiar with it. And yes, because he is God and because he is only God, he dealt with it perfectly. But the bar is not too high. We just too quickly give up and quit. And we need to look to Jesus as our example. And if we look at him as our example, we will see Jesus did nothing for himself. Go read the rest of Matthew this afternoon. And I would just encourage you, get a journal out and just uh, make a little tick mark or do it in your Bible. Highlight it. Every time he acknowledges the Father. This is because of the Father. I only say what the Father tells me to say. I only do what the Father tells me to do over and over and over again. See how many times you get that. Do it again in Mark, Luke, and John. Read all four of the Gospels and see Jesus' life and how attentive he was. He only did what the Father told him to do. Everything he did, including the words he said, were in submission to God. Now, do you think, just process this with me for a moment, if there was ever someone... Who could do something, yes, for the glory of God, but I deserve a little glory too. Do you think it might be Jesus? Do you think he could say to himself, God the Father, I get it, but I'm about to go to the cross so they can glorify me. And yet he says, I do nothing for myself. I do only what the Father sent me to do. Father, I am the only reason I'm here is because you sent me. And the only reason that they will glorify me is because you have sent me and because you love them. And I want them to know that. Everything is about you receiving the glory. 
This is the example Jesus set for us. He lived his entire earthly life with the focus on God the Father rather than on himself. And over and over again, he told the people, I'm not here for me. I'm here for God the Father to glorify him in obedience to him. So Jesus says, knowing our hearts, knowing the temptation to try and do whatever we can do to receive a little bit of that glory for ourselves, he says, beware of practicing your righteousness before other people. We need to remember that we can gain a reward here on earth or we can gain a reward in heaven. Because he continues, for then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. It's an either or situation, friends. We can have the rewards of earth. We can have the praise of man. We can have the acknowledgement of sort of one another. Or we can receive our reward in heaven. You know, so many of us, we love to have scriptures on our coffee mugs and sort of around the, 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 our homes, sort of pasted on the wall. We have the wall art and all those sorts of things, all beautiful things, beautiful reminders. We put sticky notes on our mirrors and various things on, uh, around us just to sort of, sort of constantly remind us, remind our children, remind our families of God's presence with us to give us a word. Well, Dr. Lloyd-Jones prescribes that if we're going to have one statement If we were going to put one thing on our homes, I'd encourage you, he would say, if you're going to have one thing on your bathroom mirror, one thing in your mind as you wake up in the morning, it is this. My God sees me. My God sees me. He is aware. Now that's a precious reminder in the midst of trial and suffering is that our God sees us and is aware of that trial. He is aware of the pain that we are enduring. He's aware of the suffering that we have. But in this context where Jesus is warning us about striving to live for the rewards of earth and the rewards of man, that reminder of my God sees me is a reminder of his presence. It's a reminder to not forget. You know, we don't often, as I already said or alluded to, we don't often forget Jesus' sacrifice for us. That's not something that we too quickly sort of move, move past as Christians. We, we think about the cross. We talk about the cross. We talk about the grace and mercy of Christ often. We like to call on that, and we should call on that in the midst of sinfulness when our lives fall short. We also, we don't forget too often about our sonship or daughtership, being sons and daughters of the Most High God, adopted when earthly relationships fail When the world hurts us, when we need someone to lean on, someone to cry out to, being reminded of who God, who we are in God, that he sees us, that we are sons and daughters of his, is a helpful reminder. But let me tell you one of the reasons that we lack the holiness that God would call us to as Christian people. One of the reasons that we struggle and that we don't see ourselves in light of who Christ is. That calling of what we do as being salt and light in the world. The reason that we fall short of that so often is because we forget that our lives are lived in front of him. That he sees us. That he's aware You just think about, we will do just about anything for the praise of man. Y'all know I've said this, I've confessed this to you as a church many times. I'm a people pleaser. 
I do not like it when you're upset. I lose sleep over that. It, it bothers me. I like to be liked. I like to know that you're happy. I like to, all of those things. That's just who I am. And ultimately, though, I know that that's rooted in a sense. There's this part of me, part of my flesh the desires, and if I allow that to be taken too far, that I would work and strive to please you rather than pleasing God, and that would not be what I am called to do. And I have to keep that constantly in my, my mind. Each and every one of us at different levels, we struggle with that. That we want the praise of man. We want to be acknowledged by man. And Jesus is saying we cannot live for the praise of man and the praise of God. It won't work. You want to know how I know that is true? Social media. Look at social media. What is it? What is social media ultimately at its root? It is a vehicle to receive the praise of man. That is all it is. I put this out there so that I can count and see how many people will agree with me. How many people will like what I say. How many people will share whatever it is that I say. And here's the other part of why I know that's true. If I ask you, I said, I don't think that's good for you. I think that's a little bit unhealthy. I'm going to ask that you turn that off to delete that app. I did that once in our church. And a few of you accommodated. And we had a little week together of not being on social media. But by and large, if I asked you to do that, if I said that that is something that you needed to do, anger, resentment, how dare you think that I should step back because of our temptation, our need, our, how desperate we are to receive the praise of man. And if we cut that off, guess what would happen? If we cut off that for many of us, we'd be now living without the radio tune to the praise of the world. And we'd be left to live with what God says, God alone in our minds and in our hearts. You know, another thing that is true is we need to remember and realize how easy it is to get the praise of man. You know, we are so desperate for it, but this is one of the interesting things about our psyche and about, again, the sinfulness of our flesh. I want the praise of man. I want to do things that will get that and and, and lead to that. But here's the reality. I can get it so easily. It doesn't cost me anything. It's not hard. Many of you in this room, I know well enough to know exactly what to say in order that you might say something nice to me. That's not good. We're fighting, we're striving, we're living our lives anchored to this idea of how can I get the praise of man, the glory from man, and we can get it without doing anything. We can get it so easily. And the reason is, is because none of us ultimately know the motives of one another we don't know the heart but God does we don't know why we're doing whatever it is that we might be doing God does he knows it all so Jesus in this warning in this dissection of our hearts and really helping us to see where our hearts are he is reminding us that we should wake up every day And we should realize that our God sees us and knows us. And we should live for him alone. Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. For then you will have your reward from your father who is in heaven. Excuse me, you will have no reward. 
If we're striving and fighting for the praise of man, we will not receive the reward in heaven. And can you imagine, though, just the counter of that? What would it look like if every single one of us in this room, just this room, I'm not even going to include the 9 o'clock service. They still need a little bit more help. But everyone in this room, that's online. Sorry, guys, I love you. Um, Everyone in this room, if we lived... With that heart in mind, that glory for God alone, nothing else mattered to us. Every moment of every day, we were constantly aware, my God sees me in this word that I say, in this action that I take, in the way that I choose to interact with this person or not that person. Everything that we did. Can you imagine the glory that God would receive? And more than that, can you imagine the radical transformation that we would see around us? So much this week, I know our lives have been sort of just bombarded with the reality of the culture war that is raging around us and the divisiveness in our own country and all of those things. Do you want to know what ultimately will transform the world, what will lead to a culture that does not have the division that we're experiencing, doesn't have the hate that we're experiencing, all of those things? It is a people of God who live for the glory of God alone and don't care about anything else. What I started with last week when I said that our church, I'm calling and pleading and asking the Lord to allow us to be a people that pursue the humility of Christ. A people that would say, I do not care what you think of me. I don't even care what I think of me because I know what God thinks of me. And that thought captivates everything I do. Every attitude I have. Every interaction that I take. Can you imagine? I can't imagine. I'm praying and believing and asking the Lord for the vision that I can see of a people pursuing the Lord and living for the glory of God alone, what that might look like. We would see radical transformation. I believe we would see revival break out. If just those of us in this room decided to live in that way. Now, Jesus promises us this reward. He speaks of a reward then you will have no reward from your Father in heaven if you're living for the praise of man. And one of the beautiful things that he is saying there and that he reminds us of is that there is a reward in heaven. There is an ultimate reward. Now, sometimes we have this tension, and it's, it's rooted in just our own knowledge of ourselves. Well, should I really be doing this for the reward, or should I just be doing it because it's right? We tell our kids, just do it because it's right, and the reward may or may not come. Just kind of depends on how financially we're doing that week. But should I be living for the reward or not? And Jesus would say, yes, keep your mind on that eternal heavenly reward, that great reward. At the end of our lives, we will be welcomed into because of Christ, not because of anything that we have done, but because of what he has done. It's okay to look for the reward. Jesus, the author of Hebrews says, who for the joy that was set before him, future tense, looked to the cross, went to the cross with all of us in mind. We are his reward. And he went to the cross and he laid down his life to secure us to himself. He had us, he had you and I in mind when he did that. And so like Christ, again, living our lives completely modeled after Jesus, we can look to that reward. And for those of us who are followers of Jesus today, we've already tasted that reward. We've smelled the oven, warm chocolate chip cookies. I know it's close to lunchtime. That was a bad thing I went there. 
We have the aroma of heaven in this gathering of the saints. This is why I've told you a million times, and some of you believe me, and some of you still think it's just because I'm here as a job. I'd be here no matter what, because this is a taste of heaven for me. Pay me or no, preacher or no, this is heaven. This is what I will enjoy, what we will enjoy, the fellowship of the saints, the celebration, the worship of Jesus, the hugs, the encouragement, the laughter, all of those things. And as believers, we've tasted it. We live in this, as the uh, theologians often say, the already but not yet. We've already received a bit of it. We can taste those warm cookies in the oven, but soon there is a day coming where we will enter into our great reward, the final of that. And so we keep our eyes and our minds on that, that reward of heaven That future is what motivates us and what helps us. So yes, when we wake up in the morning, we say, my God sees me and I desire to live for him alone. And I have to say no to the praise of man. I have to not receive some of that earthly accolade that I so desperately want. My soul seems to cringe for it. I put my mind and my heart, I cast it to heaven, to the future, to what God has promised. And here's the beautiful thing. Jesus is the one who secured that for us. Now, we're already late on time, so I'm just going to fast forward really quickly. Verses 2 through 4, Jesus is using the Pharisees as a description of what this looks like. The Pharisees, once again, the religious leaders of the day, they were living for the praise of man. And he's countering, people of God, you who have been welcomed as citizens of the kingdom of God, I want you to not live like they do. They go out, and when they're giving to the poor what they are called to do, the obedient thing to do, what God has said they should do, but they do it in such a way that they make sure you know about it. And when it says that they, they, they sound the trumpet, that's not the musical instrument. There was a bowl that was used, in a sense, that they would give, like our, sort of like our giving boxes, but they're not bowls, so that we can't throw our coins in there and sound that noise and everybody look. But what they would do is they'd come through, they'd take their coins, they'd throw them in the, in the giving box, and everybody would turn. Hey, that sounded like a lot of coin. Who's that guy over there? And they would do it very intentionally, just at the right moment, right when the pastor paused. Ching! Oh, there's that guy. He gave some money to the poor. That's what they did. And he's saying they were living for the praise of man. These are the Pharisees. These are the religious elite. He says, don't live like them. He uses that as an example of what it looks like. He says, no, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing so that your giving may be in secret. And your father who sees in secret will reward you. There is a sure reward. And I want to close with this. That reward, as I said, was purchased and secured for us by Jesus. Jesus is telling us to look forward to the reward of heaven. Keep your eye on that future reward, that promise that I have made. And when he says these words, he knows his mind is on the cross where he would go and he would lay down his life because it's what the father told him to do so that his father would be glorified. He laid down his life to secure for you and I that same eternal reward. This is why we're here. This is why we worship God. Because Jesus has done this. And I just want to encourage you. And I want to just ask. We're going to pray in just a moment. If you don't know what that means. If that is foreign to you. First of all, as Pastor Kyle prayed. The sovereign God of the universe ensured that you would be here this morning so that you might hear that Jesus paid it all. 
He went to the cross to secure for you that reward. The reward in heaven. And so I just, I want to just plead with you to believe this word, hopefully in some senses like it's done mine, dissected your heart. Sort of opened it up and said, yeah, there's an issue there. You live for the praise of man. You desire your own glory over God himself. And perhaps the Holy Spirit of God is telling you, you know that at the depth of your soul, that's not right. That's not how it should be. Well, Jesus, in our, as our perfect example, he went and laid down his life. He went to the cross to redeem that sinful heart, to make it whole, to transform it, to take out that heart of stone and transform it into a heart of flesh. That's what Jesus did on the cross. And all that God says of us, the mystery of God that I can't understand necessarily, I can't even comprehend, is that all he says is believe that that is true. That's what God's word says. Don't just believe me. Believe that God's word is true. What Jesus said he did, he did. And in the process of that belief, as we pray here in a moment, perhaps as we sing to Jesus, the Holy Spirit of God is going to just move on your heart in such a way that it brings new life. From a dead place, new life springs forth. My encouragement to you just as a friend, I'm just speaking super practically here. When you sense the Holy Spirit of God at work and only you will know what's happening there and what's there, do not shun that. Don't push it down. Don't just like, no, I got to get out of here. This is bad. I got to don't run off. Just sit in it. That's why we sing a song at the end of this time so that we can sort of marinate together in the truth of God. And so we're going to sing a beautiful hymn that reminds us that Jesus has secured our future and ultimately he holds it in the palm of his hand. And it is not up to you to keep your grip on him. He will keep his grip on you if you would simply believe. So let us pray and let's stand and sing. Lord Jesus, thank you for your great love for us. Thank you for the sacrifice that you paid. Thank you for, through your blood, you secured for us a great reward. And scripture instructs us all that we must do is believe. So I pray that you would help anyone in this room who does not believe, who does not know you, spirit move, that they might be raised to life. And Jesus, we do ask for those of us who have put our faith in you, help us to remember that you are Lord of our lives, that you call us to a holiness that is completely set apart from the world. Help us to live for your glory alone. I pray as I've been convicted this week and through this text that we would just humble ourselves before you. That you would just shift us, make us to look more like you today, Jesus, we pray in your mighty and holy name. Amen. Let's sing. Oh, 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 oh,
is our Disciple Now weekend for our student ministry. And so, yeah, we are super excited about uh, what God is going to do in our midst. But I want you to be aware of a couple things. You can be seated if you want. I'll rest your legs. It won't be that long. Cowboys aren't playing. They're terrible. So, um, anyway. But uh, immediately following, as soon as we dismiss here, uh, we are going to have a meeting for host homes and cooking coordinators, those of you that are serving with us this weekend. So stick around in this room. If you need to go get your kiddos, um, actually, are they going to be in childcare? Yes. Uh, th- just leave your kids, all right? Um, we'll deal with them, uh, and, and, uh, but we'll have a brief meeting. And I say brief, we'll get you to lunch really quickly. Um, if you're a guest with us, especially uh, looking at Disciple Now weekend and knowing what that is, this is a great weekend where we have a student um, just sort of rally, spend an entire weekend discipling students. And uh, we see God do so much uh, work in that weekend. But one of the things you need to be aware of for next weekend is that we will gather all together as a united church, both 9 and 1030 services with all our students. And you're thinking, well, how is that going to be possible? This room's small. Well, the Lord has provided us a tent. And so we will be having an old-fashioned tent revival down on the soccer field um, where we will all be able to be together. Ladies, do not worry. It will be walled with heaters and so uh just it'll be it's a giant like uh you know what i envision is the uh you know the the golf tournament you know the byron nelson where you go you got those giant gather that's the kind of thing that we've got coming so that's coming this week so you'll see that being set up later in the week but we'll all gather together at 10 30 here's the instruction get here a little early because we're going to need to park you here and then sort of drive you down the hill we'll have a whole team of parking help golf carts running to get you down to the tent uh, and have access there. But 10.30 next uh, Sunday, we'll all gather together and have a meeting right after for those. This evening, uh, we will gather for our first evening prayer of 2021. And here is just my plea, and I hope that you just sense the weight of this 
um, that is very clear that uh, the world is in turmoil and that might be personally in your own life or it might be the bigger picture of things that are happening. I don't know, but here's what I do know. We're not going to see the power of God at work in our lives if we don't seek him. And we have an opportunity to do that together. We pause the first, excuse me, the second Sunday of every month for prayer. And so I pray that this entire room is filled up and all we will do is be praying for one another, uh, praying for God to move in our community and our, our lives and our nation, all of those things. And so come together for prayer this evening at five o'clock, bring a friend with you um, and uh, just be back here. Childcare will be available for our prayer service as well. Following uh, evening prayer this evening, we also have our first re-engage. Uh, this is our marriage ministry and they'll gather at 630 again with childcare uh, provided. I've told you every time I mention that, the Laurel and I have been a part of that. Uh, it's great ministry to our marriage. If you've been through re-engage, raise your hand. All right. So if, if you have questions about what re-engage is, then you just come, come talk to the roses. They're right up front. They're easy to see. Lacey's got a red sweater on. So uh, sorry, Lacey. But uh, just, you know, come talk to myself or Laurel or the roses and uh, or just anybody that you might have seen your neighbor might have raised their hand and just ask them what God did uh, through re-engage. I, I can promise you, I think every single person would tell you that God did some great things. And um, Laurel and I, she might say otherwise, but 20 years married, almost 21, things are going pretty well. And we went through and it was a blessing and just an encouragement and a strengthening to our marriage. And other friends have been in the midst of crisis. And so this, this isn't a crisis only sort of a thing. That's too often what we think about in marriage. So um, I just want to encourage you to be a part of that at 630. So with that, um, I don't think there is anything else to announce. We'll see you this evening at five um, and uh, stick around if you're serving with Dean. Now, love you guys. Have a great day. Thanks for listening to the preaching of God's Word at City Church Melissa. We meet Sunday mornings at 8.30 and 10.30 a.m. at 2300 Vineyard Hill Lane, and we look forward to seeing you there soon. City Church Melissa, for the glory of God and the good of the city.